0: Hello and welcome to The Shovel, a podcast brought to you by Property Leaders Brisbane, an independent and vibrant community open to professionals working in the property and construction industry. The Shovel is a natural extension of the conversations we have at our
1: events, where we share and debate ideas and inspire positive change in our city. Hello and welcome back again to The Shovel. I'm Lisa Nixon, Managing Director of BBS Communications Group. And here with me today is Leah Lang, the Queensland Government Architect. Leah is an experienced and sought-after strategic design advisor and she's overseen citywide planning policy and implementation and has recently been appointed to this Queensland Government role. Over more than 25 years, she's taken on uh, large-scale complex projects and has a deep understanding of the site's subtleties and that all comes from that background experience. I'm told one of Leah's great strengths is her ability to unify disparate stakeholders and bring cohesion to often competing interests. That's um, you know, a bit of a decent wrap, I'd say, Leah. Welcome. Thank you very much, Lisa. Firstly, though, I have to ask... What is the role of the state architect?
0: It seems like a funny question, but it's actually a very good question. I'm not sure a lot of people know what the, the no, role I actually don't think entails. They
1: do. Uh, look, formally, the role of the
0: Office of the Queensland Government Architect is to champion well considered design thinking to help the resolution of critical regional, urban, and city challenges. It's a whole of government position, so I can advise across all departments. It includes public buildings, public realm, housing, health, education, transport, and connectivity. We also are here to ar- raise the the awareness of good design across the wider community by supporting and promoting a range of endeavours, which could be things like open house program, guidelines, education pieces, advocacy, tours and site visits.
1: No sleep for you then. When, how do you find time for it all?
0: Well, actually, probably the black ops version of the, the role is actually being a provocateur and a bit of a broker for sort of profound and creative ideas that may not be business as usual for government. And that's probably what gets me out of bed in the morning. What
1: a great remit. Absolutely. How do I get that job? Yeah. <laughs> um, which kind of does point me nicely to my next question, which really is about, you know, could you have picked a better time to take on this role? seriously in you know what's going on in the southeast corner the olympics and paralympics coming regional plan and statewide plan revisions could you have picked a better time
0: Probably not, <laughs> I guess. I think the momentum and, and the catalyzing around some of these larger sort of events and programs of work were definitely something that drew me to the role. I felt as though I could add value to the discussions about what people love the most about Queensland. And through my work, whether it's local government or private sector, I really believe it's about the character and amenity that Queensland offers that's very unique from the environment and the light to just the casual, friendly nature of the people to the topography. We've just got such diversity, I think that has to be preserved and enhanced through any sort of built projects that we do. And there is significant um, infrastructure and projects to be done. So I also would like to advocate that, you know, creative ways of thinking about these and leading then to designers and architects being involved is, is critical for the benefit of the future of Queensland.
1: So how do you go about that then, being that challenger or that kind of voice of bringing a new way of thinking? What do you do all day to be able to kind of poke that bear so to speak
0: probably actually one of the challenges is the machine of government so learning state government and how it operates so i can be effective in it that's not certainly not within architectural training um, i'm not sure unless you do government policy arts degree i'm not sure who learns about it but understanding that has been critical so then again it's just really making relationships and seeing where i can add value and my team if we can add value then we proceed to keep building a deeper relationship. And then it's that delivery of value Mm. that cements it. And then once we've got that, we found we have the inroads and then you will be invited to the table. You will be on the steering Mm. committees. Therefore you have a far better leverage to be putting that upfront thinking, which we find, you know, once we bought in at the end, it's very problematic, as most people know, to start mm. sort of re-interrogating You can't things. turn
1: the ship around at that point.
0: No. So so the early upfront thinking, which that iterative process of these wicked problems that are multifaceted and just interrogating, it's, it's quite uncomfortable for a lot of people to sit in that space. But mm. I think if the right people are there, we're getting a far better, you know, brief, a far better understanding of what we need, the costing of that, and then hopefully mitigating that risk. So the government architects across the, the nation that we meet monthly and we've all discussed that it is actually ironically the design process and our officers assist in risk mitigation on projects because we interrogate such a deep way of thinking about them up front.
1: I guess it links to that point about you being able to sort of homogenise competing objectives and build those relationships because at the end of the day you're not delivering or implementing those projects. You've got to instil those ideas and values in the people who are then bringing them to market, to ground, whatever it might be.
0: You're completely right. So that's probably taking people on the the journey and having a powerful narrative about the values in which we're trying to advocate for. And now there's premise on whether it's the housing summit and commitments, whether it's the carbon neutrality and climate positivity, whether it's the resilience with the flood build. Mm. There are the very big moves now that are non-negotiable so once we align our values of the project with that and how we're trying to then creatively solve some of these issues it is it's about taking everyone on board making sure we sort of leave no one behind because Mm. that in government can be problematic it's Mm. sometimes telling a lot of stories over and over again but I think if you believe in it and you we do have those sets of principles and pillars so our Q design document is the high level document that has nine strong principles about how we should be designing in this state and those are just they are open up the door for a conversation. They talk about climate, diversity, occlusion for everybody. They're things that really should be just the way a fit for purpose project is handled. Mm,
1: But sometimes when you're in the, you know, deep into the weeds of a project or a concept, you need those principles, albeit that they might be higher order or lofty to remind you yeah, Let's go back to basic principles and see what we need to focus on here.
0: Yeah, it's like the driving moral compass, I guess, for yeah. a project. It really needs to be why did we start this again? And just drawing back to those, why are we making decisions now and are they in line aligned with what we, we had hoped for and aspired to? Mm. I think sometimes, yeah, we can whittle down those aspirations yep. and that's probably certainly not where we want to be in the next 10 years. Mm, we really sure. need to be looking up.
1: Now, much is, you know, I hate to raise this question, but much is made of, you know, women being the first in any kind of role. And clearly you are the first woman in the role of Queensland state architect. What does that mean to you? Look, you did and you and I, give it any thought? To be honest, not
0: really. I was the first city architect on the Gold Coast as well. I, it's half where I guess. I wish we didn't have to talk about it because it shouldn't be a thing. Yep. The other half of me says, look, of course, I'm a leader in a you know a big role. I, I worried the role was too big for me, that I couldn't fill it. I definitely have imposter syndrome. I honestly <laughs> would lie if I didn't get up some days and just think, you know... Uh, I'm not on a throne with, you know, blue blood and born into this position. But then other days I think actually I'm just the right person for this role because I'm agile and I can not worry about any of that previous baggage because I can only do it how I can do it. So – and there is a small, you know, a responsibility and a pride that I do think that there are, you know, young women in Queensland looking up to roles and you can't see – be what you can't see. So if they can see a woman that was – you know, succeeding that was in a male-dominated industry and enjoying it and hopefully having successes, then, you know, it certainly hopefully paves way for future people to to think about it less and to not have to have that discussion. Absolutely.
1: And, you know, I I think that just because you're a female in a role that's previously been held by males doesn't mean that, you know, young men don't look up to that that person in that role either and aspire to have that capacity to influence so you know gender aside it's it's great to see someone with energy in that role.
0: You hope it is more about energy passion and, and why you're there for the right reasons I think that's probably what I'd rather inspire people for and an openness and transparency that you know I don't have all the answers but I'm definitely here to facilitate to get the right people at the table if I can't do it.
1: Yeah fantastic What's been your biggest challenge thus
0: far? Probably touching on it again is, is probably just understanding such a large organisation mm-hmm. um, with a bureaucracy and an undercurrent of the politics. I do try to stay out of that and more work with the machinery of government to be effective and that's getting in the right governance models, understanding them, making sure I'm speaking to the right people to be members of things that I need to be. But it is is—it is a bit like a chess game, especially when I'm not from government. So yes. I've got that very sort of pragmatic private sector and people do laugh, oh, you're being too you too logical again. And I think, oh, I don't know if I can stop doing that, <laughs> nor do I know whether I should.
1: I was going to suggest maybe that's precisely why you're in the role that you're in. In because you can be that I, person.
0: I think for this sort of role, bringing all those different pieces of yourself, whether it is you know the private sector sole practice, whether it's local government, it, it's a respect and an empathy for understanding all the different frameworks in which mm. people work. And most people are going in there trying to make a difference and do a good job it's just that the system is so large it can kind of swallow people mm. so it's about again just finding those champions
1: and, and helping people up to say hey what a, what owe a, it we try this. So you have previously been quoted as saying you know that you hope to take Queensland's built environment to a, a new level but building on the work of the previous state architect Malcolm Middleton what do you mean by that? Look it's
0: an honour to be selected in this role and I think to follow in the footsteps of Malcolm Middleton, Philip Follin and Michael Kenegar, They did some extraordinary work to elevate design, design review, the power of doing things well and being proud of that. Um, mm. There's a, a component in Queensland I think we're just happy for doing something. We're not putting ourselves under the scrutiny of having to do it better and I think now the southern states are, are sort of sometimes succeeding in that and I do hope we can learn lessons from that but we're going to be on a global stage in 10 years so I think aspiring to be the best we can be is absolutely nothing to shy away from no more tall poppy syndrome no let's just shoot for the stars and go for it get the right people move egos aside and when no one person is going to do this it is a completely collaborative all hands on deck to get all of these projects people talk about it now the amount of projects that are out in the sector or about to go out is mind-boggling. And no no one person can do this, no one company and really no one government. Mm. So we really need everybody to get on board because in the end, when we're on a global stage, no one's going to, you know, nitpick through who did what or or where or it's just going to be that holistic outcome and the energy and the experience around that and how happy the Queenslanders are to Mm. celebrate and show off their state.
1: For me, that's a huge thing to, for people, the community, to be able to see that, you know, levels of government, public and private, different interests and priorities are pulling together to make this thing real and, you know, build that legacy, I think, too, beyond the games. So it's good to know that there's someone stewarding a design focus on, on all of those pieces of work. <laughs> Maybe just changing gears a little bit, you know, Queensland, like other places in Australia, is really struggling with the concept of housing at the moment, you know, a growing population, the growth that's forecast, and there's certainly strong investments in new social and affordable housing. What's the role for you in this and the, the role for design in general? This is probably one of the
0: initial things that brought me to the role is my passion and commitment that everyone deserves a good home. I, I think that is a fundamental right. It is part of the Human, International Human Rights Act. The great work that Malcolm was doing with the team, with Peter Nelson and her housing department on The Missing Middle, uh, the competition that led to 20 demonstration projects, I think 13 are completed now, really started to push boundaries of, you know, every, a good home is a good home. And it really, the wraparound services to support the people within them, they vary but give someone pride and a home that they can actually personalize that has a connection to garden that is orientated well it's not gold plating it's yep. just fundamentally it's life changing mm. so we've seen that so i guess very strongly we've put out social housing guidelines which are about that premise and that can be used by local governments, um, CHPs, or state government. We're now working on a modular program, so we're looking at using the benefits of modular construction, so modern mm-hmm. methods of construction or DFMA, and trying to see whether we can manufacture at mass some good homes. So we've actually partnered in a, in a series of design sprints, really good manufacturers of modular with award winning architects to see if they can make lovely housing babies, mm-hmm. and it's working very well. So we hope to start that off because we need to make a big dint and again this is not a one faceted solution this is only one part of the solution we need to look at you know different mixed use tenures we need to look at land release we need to look optimizing land that's not utilized currently planning reform and everyone is working really hard in this space it's like you said, internationally, there's really not an area you can look at that doesn't have a very different investment model in housing Mm. that we could look to that's
1: nailing it. But the modular option, you know, may well be a clever solution to the issue of, you know, pace. How quickly can we get these homes on the ground? Because planning reform, unlocking land takes time.
0: It really does. And that's at the moment... The industry was probably not as advanced as I think people considered so we're also you know utilizing government to scaffold an industry to build up its capability which is I believe a a completely valid role of government that's what we should be doing so yeah like I said it's it's definitely a slow burn but we are hoping that by you know mid this year we'll have our first roll of stock out and then we can start to look at those we're even looking at potentially doing a display village because it is that public perception Mm -hmm. that maybe if a house is built in a factory and, and delivered on a on the back of a that it may not be as significant value as something that they watch attached mm-hmm. to the ground and built from you know from slab up. so mm. it's it's an interesting dilemma to start having these discussions about what people value and, mm. and how that perception might be changed.
1: Interesting too given that there's a whole sector within the retirement living space that's, you know, based on on that construction model and it's, you know, very effective, it's very sought after. So Absolutely. it's just translating that model to a different space, isn't it?
0: I think people just have what they see as a donger, what they see on the back of a truck, mm. maybe moving mm. up the highway, whereas like you've said, the land lease and, and, and modular housing has been used in mm. retirement villages. I mean, some of the cabins even that you stay in now are Absolutely. are really quite beautiful and I think anyone would be proud to have them But as what you've home. never
1: seen, you don't understand, stand
0: so and it's about the sighting and and ensuring they've actually got some sort of presence within the streetscape that they look like a a significant home that can't be sort of you know relocated floated
1: (laughs) away yeah for sure (laughs) what do you think you know if you had a crystal ball let's look forward to 2033 34 35 how will we know from an architectural and design perspective you know that we've we've had the olympics and paralympics here what will that legacy beyond the new stadiums and things from a design perspective? Or what do you hope it will be?
0: I hope we are known for more about the experiences we create and the sort of human-centric and environmentally-centric design that we deliver. And that, for me, is macro to micro. I do hope we have globally recognised stadia and venues that have just been so wonderful to experience from a fan participation right through to the actual athletes mm. enjoying them. that That is success in the Games, but we know that a lot of that will be the structure is a component of it, but it's the overlay that comes with it for that event. But it's moving forward to what do our grassroots sport facilities look like? How do we get kids involved? How do we get our... Our community out you know we've got a program of works called healthy places healthy people mm-hmm. if great places drive people out of their homes walking more engaging with their local businesses more talking to their neighbors to me, it's the fabric in between, the mesh in between these big venues that will be globally recognised, which is great. Mm. That, who doesn't love a bit of, you know, architectural porn going into multiple <laughs> magazines? Of course we that. want I'm that as well. I'm going to use that term, architectural <laughs> porn. <laughs> but it's the space, in the micro that I care about. If we do it cleverly, water-sensitively, fully accessible, like not just DDA compliant, but every ability feels like they can walk everywhere, that women and children can walk at night in the, some of these connector spaces and they just – feel uplifted, First Nations people are incorporated in their stories, I think the richness of the tapestry of the in-between stuff is going to be so critical and if we do that well, that will will stick in people's memories because Mm. we know those places globally, whether it's Paris, whether it's Barcelona, it's those places that tell the story. That's where you run into a local and have a chat and that's the stuff that people will take away and tell their kids and for me it would be that those in between spaces and the issue is then how are they delivered how are they funded who owns them who's mm. the champion well, that for was them? going to be
1: my next set of questions because i can see how that is the biggest challenge you can put you can build brisbane live you can redevelop the GABA but actually how do you create the connectivity and the sort of the life on the ground plane between those so that people are comfortable to move around and they recognise it as being somewhere, not just the space in between. Whose responsibility is that?
0: I guess as things have been formalised and the intergovernmental agreements been set, those big boulders, big rocks had to be sorted and I think that takes a lot of time and effort and a lot of people worked extraordinarily hard on that and we are still at the table making decisions, you know, around design briefs and ensuring quality I think it's the next level. I think it just has to be because people's focus has to has to be able to sort of just drop away for a moment at those big things. Once they're sorted, then I hope, I honestly, hand on heart, hope that that, that urban design component and that, that meshing of all the venues and the quality of space really starts to come to the forefront mm. and there'll have to be a provision for that and there has to be master plans and there has to be commitment for multiple parties, private sector included, but I think if they get the welcome mats rolled out, people are more than willing. We've seen how beautiful, you know, the work ARIA did with BCC and State on Fish Lane, multiple parties involved. You know, that's the thing that collaboration and really combining of ideas can Mm. come together and that's the sort of richness that we'd be looking for.
1: Mm, It would seem to me that that piece is going to fall to the local governments around those pieces of infrastructure more so than the state. A lot of the precincts
0: will sit within PDAs, so that'll be a mixture. But you're right, it really is a combined... So we'd be looking almost like a toolkit of how can we sort of give a lot of pieces and then support them in that so they can then go and apply it in their own spaces and that's mm. the live sites as well we'd love them to go regionally it's very important for the regional people of Queensland to know where they're going to be going to their local sports field with a large screen and can have this great experience Absolutely. With, you know new gender neutral toilets or just female change rooms might be a surprise in some of those places <laughs> or a few extras exactly <laughs> and you know lighting and data collection and greening mm. I think everybody wants to see you know zone's a hot state we need more resilience we've got to watch the natural disasters so all of these things have to have these multiple layers of effectiveness of they're not just there to look good which is absolutely you know my bugbear with let's stick architecture on it no it's a fundamental thinking and function and that all of those are required so it's the utilization of land properly if there's anything else that we can do with the land that we're looking at these sort of precincts we should be optimizing it generally for housing but could be for community facilities Mm -hmm. so I think all of these things are all up on the table but we definitely need a a process and a framework in which to make those decisions Mm.
1: so I think we we, you know we're sort of coming to the end and for our series four I guess of the shovel this time around we've we've got sort of five quick fire questions we're asking everyone at the end so interesting to get your take on this so what's what's the mantra that you live by do you have one and if you do what is it
0: Look, I do like Helen Keller's life is a daring adventure or nothing at all.
1: Okay, that sounds, I'm I'm on board with that too. The most defining moment of your
0: life? I mean, there's multiple and look, I think when you've seen the full spectrum of life, so I cared for my father who passed from terminal illness when I was a teenager and I think from that experience to then having like the birth of my children, I think those two experiences have sort of bookended my understanding of of life and I guess what you're here for and Mm -hmm. and why you're here and I don't really try to miss a moment. I'm sure I do because there's lots of balls in the air and I'm dropping them all the time but yeah I think those two moments sort of like I said they've just provided me with a balance and a spectrum for Mm prioritisation.
1: Absolutely. Who is the person you would most like to meet living or passed away?
0: I think only because I'm in a bit of a – I just need a laugh at the moment. I was actually thinking I'd (laughs) love to have a a scotch with Robin Williams. i just love (laughs) to absolutely laugh myself stupid till my sides hurt. But on a more architectural note, I remember doing an assignment on um, Charles and Ray Eames, the furniture and architectural designers, and sitting in one of their case study houses. I used to just think that would be the most fascinating dinner party and discussion. So, yeah, I think those two.
1: Good answer. Good answer. Favourite coffee shop in Brisbane?
0: Because I drive from the Gold Coast, because I so I live on the Gold mm. Coast, and I drive up the M1. I don't really go very far, so be looking
1: for one of those, you know, Zarafa's drive-throughs. Oh, probably. Uh, well,
0: I try to <laughs> contain myself until I get up. Depends on how bad the traffic's been. But I, when I come down from my office, there's a beautiful chocolate shop that has lovely hot chocolate, which is heaven. Which is good because then there's a BWS over the road, so <laughs> I make good choices by having the chocolate in the afternoon. That's balance for you, that isn't was, it? That's a, I'm making good choices. Oh,
1: <laughs> goodness. And finally, what book would you recommend? to our listeners?
0: I read reports a lot now so it's hard to get any time to read anything else but I did over the holidays read um, The Invisible Women which is exposing the data gap in the world designed for men by Caroline Chiado Perez and it's excellent. It just talks about I guess the fundamental data in which we've been utilising for Australian standards for Mm -hmm. all the ways that we design everything from IT to buildings to cars that it's basically all been designed around a male body, a male temperament, a male brain, and it's just quite... I don't know, it makes you actually angry. I wanted to throw the book at one point, but I think it just <laughs> makes you understand that we really do need women in positions of decision-making and power just to start to consider how we are in space, how we are in the world mm. and where our place is. So, um, And on the other one I just read was The Mother by Jane Caro. That was a really good holiday read.
1: Well, you've wrapped this up nicely for me, you know, talking about women being in the places that they need to be to have influence and, you know, here you are as our state government architect... Thank you so much for your time and I'm quite sure that, you know, our followers will be really pleased to listen to this chat. Thanks very much, Leah. Thank you so much, Lisa. The Shovel is a podcast for Property Leaders Brisbane and is kindly recorded and produced by BBS Communications Group. If you've enjoyed The Shovel, please subscribe, review and share to help spread the word.